I mean you, dear listener. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this Warui Desho podcast. We're so happy to have the pleasure of your company today. If you've listened to us before and like our show, you might be wondering how you can support us, since we won't take your money. This podcast will continue to be free, but if you'd like to show your appreciation, please consider leaving us a rating and review on iTunes, as those help our discoverability. If you don't use iTunes, that's fine too. You can follow us and like and share our content on SoundCloud, YouTube, and Twitter. Additionally, we love getting your feedback, positive or negative. Tweet us at Show or email us at Show at gmail.com. Whether or not it gets read on the show, I can assure you, we all read every tweet and email you send us. And once again, dear listener, we thank you so much. Now please, enjoy the show. Said an audio fuck up on my end. Sorry about that. Now you're still winded. Oh dear. Well, anyway, anyway, yeah. Hey, uh, we got some cool we, music on brand. It was supposed to fade out the audio, but by clicking off the player onto the OBS, the player just decided, you know what? Instead of continuing to play, I'm just going to stop it dead. <laughs> Ah, uh, Doc, well, uh, you know what? I'll hire you as my DJ for my next birthday party. <laughs> but anyway, ladies, gentlemen, enemies, welcome to Warrior Dash's stream before episode nine of The Promised Neverland. It's the 3rd of November, and last time we checked in on the kids, everything was going rapidly downhill. Really, really fast. Uh, it's going to go even more downhill in this episode, quite literally, as we'll find out later. Uh, oh my <laughs> god! Oh yes. Oh yeah, I'm seeding that ahead of time. Uh, but anyway, joining me as usual is the man from across the pond, uh, recent, you know, uh, trained master of infiltrating Japan for the social oh, justice. No, no, yeah. don't, don't bring that up. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. Of course, we got to bring it up. Of course, it is the Soul Doctor. I'm here to talk about why the Promise Neverland is neoliberal. Welcome to my TED Talk. <laughs> I oh, personally, but even before I get introduced, I personally have infiltrated the Promised Neverland. <laughs> it was me. Man, Phil. It's like fitting about my life, I think, in a deep way that the f- most liked and RT tweet I have isn't about it. <laughs> anything creative I've done. It's me laughing at someone else and putting them like, so what does that say about me? <laughs> 
it's fun to laugh at people. It who is don't great know what the to fuck laugh at people. About. There's something. Uh, there's something that I don't like about this, <laughs> but I'll, I'll change. Hopefully, a stream of thought will continue to grow, and we can change that together one day. One can hope. Uh, and in the meantime, of course, we have a recent tech and convert and the dark web herself, Orgelia, join us. Hi. Tell do you um, do you main? I'll the, infiltrate the bear? you next. Watch <laughs> out! <laughs> You're not hacking my brain. You're not hacking my brain. There's not much in here, so there isn't much tech anyway. But I'm just saying, you're not hacking it. Brain security level five. Do you main the bear in Tekken? Is there a bear? There no, is a bear, no. right? There, there's like two bears. There's, there's one bears. bear. And there's a panda. <laughs> there's like a bear and there's a panda. They're like kind of clones of each other, but they have some slightly different moves. Yep. Uh, they're the. I, I play uh, you know... Negan. I'm a Negan main now. Oh my god. Oh my god. You, I, <laughs> That's no reaction. Is that a Walking Dead playing? character? Right? Yes. yes. <laughs> He's awesome. in Tekken now. Yeah. Yeah. That's what a. What a thing. What, like, what a time to be alive. <laughs> what a time to be alive. He's like, he was made just for me. And I play Negan. I'm the worst millennial. And every single time my opponent on the internet, I make them watch the full fucking intro. <laughs> Here's 10 seconds of intro. Watch that's, it. That's some psychological warfare there. I think I can exactly. get behind it, actually. That's genius. All right. So, uh, walking dead aside, we are still going to talk about our post-apocalypse du jour, which is, of course, the promised Neverland. Um, first off, though, Doc, do you want to tell us how things have been going Twitter-wise? From See, the polls from last week, specifically. It. That's right. We're going to talk about the polls, and I also have uh, information about, thanks to uh, your friend and mine, Emily Rand, uh, nice one, Emily. The director and storyboarder of this episode. So we'll talk about them very briefly. But here's Twitter from episode eight. The polls are: Ahem. Does the promised Neverland do justice to being a scathing indictment of the Japanese educational system or workplace? There's still an hour left to vote in this, folks. Uh, but it's going to be hard to turn it around. 73% say no, the Promised Neverland doesn't mm. succeed in this venture, if indeed it's trying to do that thing. Uh, exactly. Does Isabella genuinely, <clears throat> if in a twisted way, love Emma, Norman, and Ray as she would her own children, or is it all a complete lie? 73% say yes, she really does love them in her own way. Very interesting. Mm. Those are I, think this episode, I think this episode provides kind of new information about that mm, mm-hmm. but we'll see we will see so yeah uh, thank you very much to everyone who uh joined me on the polls on that one always interesting to get some input on these like questions that we have about the subject matter uh be it the goofy or the more serious uh but now let's pick up where we left off it's the third of november uh and i know for a fact that ray is immediately regressing his you know light hide comments ember and norman to go break a leg when they were going to reconnoise the wall oh Oops. D- did you want me to oh, talk cool. about the director really quick here? Oh, you did. Yes, sorry. Yeah, just this will be very good. Director, <clears throat> it was amazing. It was so what good. An amazing dude. It was, it was, uh, and I again, to I would encourage everyone to read Emily's uh, blog about it this week. She really mm. breaks down in detail, kind of how the director approached everything uh, this week, and really like just i think nails it in terms of like outlining 
the visual direction this time and what it's supposed to mean. It's at uh, formeinfullbloom.com or .wordpress.com. Uh, but the director and storyboarder is uh, Hiroki Itai. And Hiroki-san uh, is basically like looking at their cv key animation seems to be like the watchword here they've done a ton of key animation for a lot of like really well regarded stuff like i see tiger and bunny i see star driver i see world conquest zvezda plot um log horizon you know even you know kill the kill some key animation in episode nine Mm -hmm. of that uh there's some uh episode direction starting to come into it with more modern stuff but um but yeah mostly an animator and i would say based on their work in this episode like they should be given more cracks at episode directing and storyboarding uh Mm. because boy uh, i thought this was uh, a really really fantastic Mm. job this episode well all right then. Um, so we pick up where we left off last time, um, which is not to say like we're picking up immediately after he gets to the house, but rather shortly after the inciting event of last episode happens, which is of course that you know Isabel decides to snap Emma's leg like a Twix bar. Thanks, great, brilliant. Um, and this is where we have a bit of a fault. Com- like we get some more of the of the scene that happened in between, you know, that happening and then them coming back revealed to us where they discuss Norm being shipped out. Um. After that's all over with, we get uh, Don, uh, Gilda, and Ray talking around what I presume is a blocks-up well um, mm. about their situation, how things are pretty dire. Uh, Ray decides to take his anger out on, uh, you know, guest star of this episode, Mr. James Beckett, by kicking him down the way, <laughs> which is just rude. That's that's appalling behavior. <laughs> Hi, obviously. James. Bye, James. Hi, James. Bye, James. Um, but yeah, they really take time now to process all of what's they've been revealed to them that you know first off crowd is indeed gone that's it uh and their plans are basically that's nothing they have to find another way to sa- uh to save norman uh ray has a plan in mind which will he'll discuss with emma in more detail in a bit uh speaking of which emma is now laid up in bed um this is where norman is as well he's you know looking after her while she's bed bound at this time um and Opening gesture, without any words, just reach hand out, grabs it like that. Hmm. Pay attention to that as this goes along, because hmm. Norman has decided that he indeed has his own new plan, uh, which, well, he's going to be the canary in the coal mine, so to speak, and he's going to give his own life by willingly going off into the, you know, the tunnel where the demons are to be, you know, consumed and devoured for the sake of giving Ember and Ray the, the time they need to formulate a new plan take the heat off them, so to speak. Um, as he says this, or as he uh, well, as he says it, but rather as he builds up to saying it, when he's got his hands around Emma's hand in turn, he pulls them away because he knows how difficult it is to say that. He has to, in some way, kind of portend the fact that he's ready to, you know, leave them behind. Like, that's, the, that's what the gesture is about there. Um, and he says he'll go get Emma a glass of water. Something to note about the tone of the conversation here is that Norman, as he's telling her all this, is all very, no, it's no worries. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll give myself, you know, over to Isabella and the demons. No problem. I'll become hamburger. And that way you guys can say, it's fine. It's honestly fine. Don't worry about him. It's that kind of, you know, very, 
light hide, manner of fact tone, no issues whatsoever. Um, Norman then unfortunately gets to uh, walk down what looks like a very early prototype of an Oculus Rift VR project. Oh, man. It, I, like... I'm sorry to say, but the CG in this show is crap. <laughs> it's terrible. Like, I understand what they're going for here. I really do. Like, we want to follow, like, every waking second of this because it, like, this is meant to play out in it's an eternity in Norman's head. Like, you know, he only has, like, until the following evening before he gets shipped out, but every second feels very stretched out. And I get that that's what I try to do by having them follow him so close up there. And maybe it is also just to be more cynical, literally a cost-cutting measure to help make things easier for animating. I can't say that for sure one way or the other. Uh, but it looks blur. I thought it looked fine. Like, kind of the point of that scene was to kind of... In, in general, this part of the episode is like more slow, more kind of introspective. You mm. see Norman kind of take his time with everything. Yeah, everything no, is stretched I'm... out. I'm okay with that and just talking about the quality of this. I mean, I'm totally right. fine. I think that's great. But I'm talking about the quality of the CG. It really sticks out when you've got Norm in the middle and then you've got like this really plasticky looking environment on the other side of him. In my brain. It doesn't look. <clears throat> I'm sorry. Go ahead. You finish. No, no, go ahead. Carry on. Oh, I was it, it just, I was like, it, it would be disingenuous for me to say that it didn't take me out of it a little bit. Like, I'm not going to. It's not a. Th- a big enough thing for me where I'm gonna like detract my uh, not detract but like where I'm gonna knock down like how I view the episode where I'm gonna detract points or whatever but mm-hmm. I had to like force myself to be like don't pay attention to it focus on the story mm-hmm. don't pay attention to it focus on the story because it yeah it was um it just didn't have it quite right I mean it wasn't like uh I don't want to say it was good but I also don't want to say it was absolute crap. Like, I mean, I've seen far worse, but it just, it, mm. it was just not, no, it was, no, just wasn't great. Giant squid. Yeah, what? it's just true. It wasn't what that. I'm saying the be... giant squid. It's not the we, giant yeah. squid. <laughs> but maybe, maybe my brain kind of filled in the blanks because I didn't even notice like how bad it is. I'm like, oh my God. Like I, I'm super kind of like. Invested? Uh, yes, I I know what he's like going through. I like yeah. I, I really kind of empathize with what he's been. Which I want to talk. We could talk about that now or later. But but yeah, the like emotional content of the scene was was huge. But yeah, but I think you're so, right to bring up how kind of like the lower quality of the visual. I mean, it yeah, it really did. Like I didn't want it to, but it took me out of it. Yeah, I think at this point I'm basically resigned to the fact that if you're not Studio Orange of landed lustrous fame, or you know the Macross Delta, Macross Frontier, you know ship design, you know and animation stuff, I'm very sorry to say, but Japanese CG in general is just kind of rubbish. But that's neither here nor there because, as has been rightly pointed out, what's more important is actually the emotional context of the scene. So I brought before that when Emma and Norman are having that conversation, in which he says, "No, it's okay, cool, I'll fall on the sword for you guys. It's great." Uh, he seems, you know pretty matter of fact he seems very accepting of this fate but is he no because when he gets to actually to the point where he can pour emerald water from the sinks nearby uh he can barely bring himself to turn it he's shaking he's trembling and then he actually falls to his knees exhausted and worn out and you know maybe even very cognizant of the fate that awaits him even like he was pointing out a brave face for her i reckon that if you asked him legitimately you know like if you had the opportunity to do so do you really want to go through with this? His answer would be absolutely be no, because he doesn't want to die, which is fair. Mm-hmm. 
So he goes back to Emma uh, Emma's room where she's be where she's being looked after. And as he goes to the door, takes a deep breath, puts on his brave face again. He's he's you know gonna get back to being regular happy Norman. You know, I'm totally cool with all this. Ray is waiting for him. And thus begins and a really interesting conversation between them. Mm. But it's also something that's really interesting for me because it's all subtextual and it shows how far these characters have changed in their positions, specifically one of them, since mm. the earlier part of the show's run in what I remind you is a very short space of time because if I recall correctly, the show only began in October in the show's time at the very least. It's been weeks at most. It's not been any more than a month. So while they're here... Um, Ray has been told basically what the idea is, you know, that he's going to fall on his sword for, you know, give himself up. Um, and he says, nope, not having it. You're going to escape tonight and we'll follow you later. Which, not a reasonable idea, actually, to be honest. It breaks the tracking device. He can get out. That's fine. There will be consequences for that. There'll be increased security to deal with. But Ray is absolutely confident that he can do it. And then Norman just starts crushing every single point he throws him. Just starts shooting them all down. And to the point where Ray even suggests, like, you know, okay, build a ladder for me, like, you know, so I can come over and give you food every couple of days. Like, how the fuck is Norma going to build a ladder out in the wilderness? You know, he's an 11-year-old kid and he's smart, but he isn't Tom Hanks in Castaway, for fuck's sake. He can't. <laughs> it, it ain't happening. And here's the thing, right? Norma's objections are quite reasonable and based in logic and, you know, him imagining what might come next, like, you know, as a result of him escaping. And Ray's, Ray, normally, you know, the big pragmatist, is coming up with all sorts of crazy solutions in a very exasperated tone of voice, like, no, we will do this, we will do it. And he's like... And I found this super fascinating, because mm-hmm. bear in mind, Ray, way back when, his point was, so it's free and the everyone else is a burden. And here's the thing, right? His own escape would be made more difficult if Norman did get out. So Ray of old, Ray of two, three weeks prior, would probably have been like, well, you know. Can't make an omelet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so what a change in his perspective to have him see come round to this. And I really appreciate how this was still without making it obvious. Um, and he like brought, he, and he brought in Don and Gilda. Like, mm-hmm. whereas before, I mean, like he, he was going to fucking like throw Don under the bus and sell him out. Uh, mm-hmm. But here in this scene, he's like, Don, Gilda, we're doing this. Like, come here. Let's rally around. Let's make the new plan. Like they're in the inner circle now. Like he trusts them more. And yeah, I found like, uh, you know, and we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about it more going forward, but just his whole demeanor and all of his actions, this episode were super interesting. And, yeah. and even in that, like, uh, he's not, like, the only person with a personality change. Like, Norman is generally the kind of person that's like, okay, we ran into a bad situation. I'm going to think of something. He's, like, kind of shutting down ideas without mm. even trying to kind of come up with alternatives. He's defeated because of what happened to Emma. Like, he's just kind of just really tired. Mm. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. So... Speaking of Emma, like, she's been absent from this conversation, um, and something about the framing is that we never see her in shot when Ray and Norman are speaking directly to each other. So, as this goes on, you completely forget that she's there. And then she just pipes up and goes, well, Ray, what if you break your arm? 
And I'm like, has she lost it? I, I like I joke there, but I genuinely thought for a second that it bear in mind you of all the shit they're going through and the fact that they're kids. She might have literally just lost it and like be that desperate to do something like, you know, just some of the craziest cock and any plans ever. But no, Emma's serious, like, you know, break it if Ray gets his arm broken, then you know he won't no one will get shipped out. Um, you know, if Ray gets sick, the demons won't ship it out. So that way they can still have Norman escape without having their own ship house be expedited forward. They're basically willing to injure and maim themselves in order to, you know, make Norman do his escape. Fuck. Damn. <laughs> yeah. Fuck. Going all, they're going all God. in on it. Yeah. Whew. And they basically, Rough. it comes down to this. Emma's like, look, don't want you to die. We're all going to get out together. That was the original plan. And that's still the truth here. If Norman gets out first, they can follow later. It'll be more difficult, but it won't be impossible. Um, Ray's explanation of why is fair, because he says earlier on that, you know, even if they do increase security, it'll be light, because they can't afford to have their free-range lifestyle be hindered, because it'll disrupt their growth. This is also the scene in which we actually finally get a look at Ray's uh, tracking device to save. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is a little cobbled together uh, widget with two electrodes on it and a bit of a, uh, like, you know, press button, little spark comes out. So, uh, intense, obvious enough. Again, we don't know how really he assembled it, what specifically it does, but it, you know, it makes sense. Uh, this will be relevant later, by the way, for something he chooses not to do. Uh, put two guesses as to what that is. It, it looks like an Altoids tin with two pins sticking out of it. <laughs> it's so just. It, I bet it, he's. I bet he's gonna fucking use it to tase mom. Not that. <laughs> not not yeah. that. I guess that would have. He's going to tase mom, and it's gonna be like a bad Hollywood movie. Where mom's <laughs> like just kind of shaking, and then she'll fall asleep for like fourteen hours. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my god. That's the worst. Like, <laughs> that's terrible. I yeah, I that doesn't I happen. That. I'm just gonna want to. I want to quash this right now. Yeah. That doesn't happen. Yeah, I mean that thing's tiny. Try to take some. Please continue watching. Then... That's not what happens. <laughs> Mom gets titty, so like never fear. Only the current so light, she just like goes. What? <laughs> that's it. Please. Yes. I'm a grown adult. Like, you need something a bit more strong now. Wait, you got, not got any mace? Come on now, kids. Do you your research, that. Ray. Slap. <laughs> anyway, speaking of research and knowledge, Ray is asked at this point, how did you ever learn, you know, why the, you know, house is not what it is on the surface? You know, hmm. they're essentially being turned into lunch meat. Um, turns out Ray has what is called, um, or rather, he doesn't suffer right. from what is called desamnesia. Which is you don't remember what you know your memories as a kid in the womb or immediately thereafter. There, I don't remember anything from my childhood or merely from yesterday. So, well, you know, there it is. Um, but he describes you know how he saw the demons when he was a kid. Now his memories didn't align with what he knew from the house. So essentially, he got a lucky break, be it from genetics or some other thing, that made him learn the truth way earlier. Um, he mentions, by the way, that there's a reason they can't go through the gate um, because the gate leads directly to headquarters. So all the other plants, there's six in total, including the one they're at, 
all the tunnels go to the center. So the headquarters, of course, is going to be filled with demons, soldiers, security guards, research staff, etc. Um, so I cannot no... imagine demons in uniforms. Holy shit! Demons, he's got his really, really long like uh, fingers. He's holding a pencil. He's working on a clipboard. <laughs> Yes, this child is excellence quasi. He has like a giant hand and his with his giant fingers, he's oh, yes. just with one hand holding a mop. And one of them like the top one he's of them is like comes in from the outside. Clyde, fix your bow tie. <laughs> <laughs> one of them is holding the ladder while the other one's changing a light bulb. I, man, I there's so much great, like, I want this to be like a fan fiction or like a <laughs> comic series of just the demons doing the most run-of-the-mill pedestrian shit in the background. Like, just, you've got one oh. guy working in accounting and he's just there like this and he's like, curse this tiny human typewriter. My fingers are too big for it. <laughs> it's like the ghost in the shell scene at the beginning, you know. <laughs> <laughs> he, like, he, like, tries to, to, like, grab his cup of coffee but accidentally runs his nail through the plastic mug. <laughs> man and i'm just like oh not again just just picturing like i don't know like a demon small business you know like two demons in a moving truck like and it's like they're like walking like with a ladder under their arm and like packing up like god they're doing that casual 1950s song so where they're like this like oh top of the morning to mom exactly (laughs) Man. I mean, if you've ever Lovely. seen the film The Cabin in the Woods, that's what I want to imagine it's like. <laughs> where it's just the behind the scenes shit from that. We're doing like, all right, we've got this batch of kids. Which one of them is going to die first, do you reckon? Lies, put your money in on it. Like, oh, I'm out from last week. I already lost all mine. Never mind. I need to see that right. movie. I haven't seen it. I've, I've seen it's... that movie. I get your joke. It's a good joke. <laughs> keep going. Keep Great. going. <laughs> Thank, you Thank you for the encouragement, Vargelli. Um, <laughs> So, um, just to refresh my memory, after that's all wrapped up, they basically come to the agreement, yep, they have to get Norman over the wall. They're going to go ahead and do it. Um, This is also the point now where Isabella reveals that Norman is going to be shipped out the following evening uh, because he's going to a foster family. A very hungry foster family, as it turns out, but she's not going to tell the kids that. Um, I like this, by the way, this whole scene here as a reminder that our five... main characters are heroes, they're in on the, the knowledge. They know that, you know, the world is fucked up and everyone's going to be shipped off to be eaten as, you know, Big Macs or turkey dinosaurs or whatever. Um, but the rest of the kids, business as usual for them. Their life carries on. They genuinely will miss Norman. They think he's going forever. Uh, one of them even, you know, starts crying. You know, it's very reminiscent and it's meant to be she his voice. She knows. It's, it's meant to be reminiscent Connie's leaving in the first episode because it's the exact same context and it's got the, you know, grim end ahead of us, so, you know, this is it. This is zero hour. It's do or die. Literally. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, by so the way, I, it's, it's, it's weird because we've never seen this child before and we've never seen her, like, interact with Norman. So, out of nowhere, there's this child just crying her eyes out. I'm like, oh I, my god. She also I, knows about the demons. She mm-hmm. also remembers her childhood. Yeah, not so much. Um, I don't like. I'm okay with that because it was clear from a lot of the other episodes that Norman was loved by the, all the kids. Like you know, after he had the nightmare, we woke. We had those two randomers jump on his bed. Um, but yeah. Oh by God. the way, kudos, kudos to the Crunchyroll subtitling team. Whoever decides to change one of the kids from saying "Congratulations" to "Congrats," "Congrats." Like, <laughs> no, that's true. Yeah, 
Like a small child would say, congrats. Great. Also, congrats. We are now the only two left. I have to murder you now. I only have to murder one other person to take over. There can be only one! There can be only one! (laughs) I'm the guardian. Oh, don't, no, don't talk about it. (laughs) Okay, okay. Moving on. This is the end of time! (sighs) It really is, isn't it? It really is. Uh, There's not enough alcohol in my alcohol for this. Anyway, so, carrying on. There's not enough alcohol in your ketchup. No, but there could be if I fermented it. Anyway, so, um, after that, there's like a brief montage of things continuing as normal. Uh, the kids are like, you know, being looked after by mom. Like, um, Phil is getting his hair shampooed. And I'm just like, I'm so certain he's still an Eldritch Horror, but we don't know if any proof of that yet. So, never mind. Uh, Gilda's like making more rope um, because the previous set, of course, was taken away by mom after they were found. Um, Ray study a book. Emma's wolfing down food faster than Homer Simpson and all you can eat buffet, so that's quite impressive. But she wants to get better, so she, you know, she wants to heal as quickly as possible, so understandable. And there's the day after. The plan gets underway. Norman is running for the wall. The others are just watching and waiting to see what happens. He's got Gilda's rope with him. Now, I know next to nothing about scaling walls or, <laughs> any, or any sort of climbing <laughs> This is the, my favorite I, preface ever. <laughs> this could go anywhere. I, I I don't know. Jack diddly shit about how this works, but Norman ties a rope to a tree and then somehow uses it to run up the wall. And maybe this is legitimately possible, at like you know, for people who are athletic enough. So the um, wall I, is in front of him, and the mm-hmm. rope is behind him, right? So he's pulling on the rope, right? Which means mm-hmm. he's pulling himself away from the wall as he's running to the wall. It does not work. <laughs> it does not I'm, how I'm, anything works. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go with the assumption that Norman was bitten by a radioactive spider and that's how he did okay, it. Okay, okay. Um yeah. but if he was, then it would have helped him with the obstacle that presents itself before him now. Although we don't find what what this is until the end of the episode. Uh, we just get a very No, he shot. stands yeah, he stands on top of the thing and he kinda looks like He's relieved, even in some way. You kind of see there's forest on the other side. Yeah, he looks like that's... closes his eyes, gets is like ah. Little did and you know, by sense. the way. I'm sorry. Little did you know, by the way, when uh, Emma and Ray were angry munching, were doing tag, uh, and Don and Gilda were training by like making the rope and everything. Norman playing Assassin's Creed, so he could climb the wall. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. What if it turns out the Promised Neverland is not hmm. like current time, but it's just someone living the genetic memories? It's God like Norman's it. descendant. <laughs> Fuck! How did they get he's, out he's, last time? It's in he's the, playing uh... Assassin's Creed. It's like hmm, this historic document is a. <laughs> what is that um, called in the game? It's not the Matrix. It's the the Animus. Yeah, Animus. yeah. yeah. God. Yeah. But then it's again, just... Norman's a much more likable protagonist than Desmond Miles, who is basically the most plain, boring, non-existent whiff of air ever to be written to a video game. Anyway, Ezio. Ezio, yes, Ezio is all right. <laughs> okay, so moving away from Ubisoft games, they're way outstayed their welcome. Um, it, the day progresses as normal, gets you know to sunset, so time's running out. Emma, Ray, and the others are watching and waiting to see what happens next. And sure enough, as it's time for all the kids to come back in for what I presume is their curfew, Isabel's like, "Where's Norman? I don't see him." Where's Norman? Oh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh my gosh. 
I think we lost Norman, guys. Oh, guys. He's fine. Just like just like before on the stream, where when the subtle doctor left. Yep. <laughs> Did the subtle doctor escape? Here I am. I'm back. I've no, come back. No, he's back. Well, he found out what, there was a. Why, as, well, I can't tell you just yet, actually, but I'll save that joke for the minute. <laughs> okay, okay. So, Isabella takes out the pocket watch, the tracking device, and she looks at it. And, you know, everyone's watching and waiting for the big oh shit moment where she goes, I can't see him. Or, I can't, or rather, not him specifically. I can't see anyone outside the group immediately in front of me. And she just goes, Nice. Well, not nice, of course, but anyway. Nice. Uh, and she just turns around and says, oh, hey, welcome back, Norman. And everyone's looking hey, at him. And they're all absolutely mortified. Norman looks like he's been awake for six days <laughs> he straight. Does. He does. <laughs> he looks Fucking... like uh, uh, Cillian Murphy from the Batman movies at that point. Just looks like Scarecrow. Just Fucking the, the emotions. <laughs> The emotions and everyone else also. When it's like, oh, where's Norman? You see, like, Emma and Ray being like, and like, did what was that character's? So, God, I don't know if anyone is gonna remember this, but from Looney Tunes, like, there was like this old, like, this guy who just looked very tired all the time. And he had a dog called Leopold and Leopold was always accidentally waking him up or like one of the other characters would. And like, he looked shit. just like that. Guy. Like his face, the guy would be like, Leopold, <laughs> if you wake me up, Leopold, I'll do terrible, horrible things to you. And he oh would like God. break this baseball bat over his knee over and over again. Norman looked just like that dude. It was amazing. Oh, boy. Um, so, obviously, you know, everyone's mortified that Norman has indeed returned. My thought process as this was happening was, has he done this because he's decided to sack off the original plan and go with his own rule of, I will give myself up freely to make life easier for you guys? That turns out not to be a case, but I did think that for a legitimate moment there. I was like, oh, my God. So... We get into the infirmary again, where Emma's returned. Uh, Ray's there with them. Gilder and Emma, uh, Don are not present. And Ray is obviously, like, you know, very indignant about this whole, you know, fact that Norma's back. Like, what the fuck do you think you're doing, you tit? Not in such language, of course, but anyway. <laughs> uh, but Norman says, no, please listen. I need to explain. So he walks away from them, dissing himself because again he feels concise to the fact that he's going to have to leave them soon enough. So I think that's again a nice bit. He doesn't even say like, "No, I have to explain." He's like completely defeated. He's like, "It's okay, you know, it's all okay, it's all fine." No, he did. He did say he wanted to let speak and tell them what was going on. Yeah. Um. So he goes over. We get this angle of him being side on, and then as things set into place, he drops the bombshell. Uh, oh yeah, guys. Uh. Forgot to tell you this, or rather, we didn't know about it, but there's kind of a deal breaker, which is that there's a giant fucking ravine on the immediate other side of the cliff. And unless you've got a wingsuit or you happen to be Usain Bolt, you ain't making it. Whoops. I have a question. Credits. Da, 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 da. Mm -hmm. I, I have a question. About okay. That. So, like, yesterday, when Emma's leg was broken, he still had the rope and Mom left. He could have no, found they... that like, yesterday. No, they threw the rope the away. Rope. They threw the rope away into the bushes. And then they took it again. I mean, sure oh, that? he can't. Are you sure he that happen? 
Yeah, I'm pretty sure. So Emma tackled mom and then Norman ran for the rope. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but he didn't get that far. Mom. Okay, uh, sure. But I mean, it's in the bushes, like right next to them. They, he you, should have known. He could have like, there's, gone, a, like that, yeah. there's, there's a line. There's a line earlier in this episode where yeah. they say that mom took the rope. So it's mom gone. took the rope, but they don't show it. I think no, like mom said. Mom said, mm-hmm. "Oh, and you better give me that rope later." Yep. So I, I'm pretty sure mom took the rope later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's gone, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, um, but but I mean, still, he had the time to use it, so that's kind of a plot convenience. I don't think it is. It's a new. Really... No, it's it's a new rope. Oh. No, no. So the old rope yesterday. Mm-hmm. Okay, right. Yeah. The day they broke Emma's back, like mom leaves, Norman still has the rope. He could have gone up to check. Oh, that day. I'm, I'm I'm perfectly willing to take your face value that she took it at some point before they had a chance here. It's she such a minor thing; it doesn't matter because of what she says. She didn't. Well, they the kids themselves say that it's gone. So why would we disbelieve the kids what Ray has say, to say? They say that the next that day. Happens imme- no, it's not next day. It happens immediately after they get back because it's before we see this. It's around the well where they discuss that. And that's the, immediately after they return. Okay. Weird. So weird. It doesn't matter. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. All right. Okay. One thing I want to note very quickly about this ending scene that's not explicitly stated, but of course, Norman was tracked by, a, you know, the tracking device. So the question then is, why didn't he use it? And I really appreciate, like, this is, again, this nice small thing about just to show how smart that Norman is. He didn't actually pop the tracking device in his ear till, or he wasn't going to do it until he got over the wall. If he'd have done it there and then before he got up there, he wouldn't have had anywhere to escape to, and he wouldn't have been able to return because then Isabella would have been like, right, you stand there, pocket watch out. Yeah, thank God. <laughs> hmm, you're not on my tracking device thing. Curious. Very curious. But yeah, uh, that's the end of the episode. Uh, they've got a pretty insurmountable obstacle in front of them, to be quite honest. Unless they, you know... Man, I don't even know. Like, I'm trying to think in my head. How would they get around this? Hmm. And the answer to that is... You'll see. (laughs) Ah, ah, but there is one small detail I forgot to mention, is that in the montage we have, um, following... The scene in which Norman is announced to be leaving. Um, Norman himself actually finds uh, Sister Crow's package and the pen. What the package is, we don't know. He just finds it. Yeah, that's right. That is... Uh, it, we all thought it was put in Ray's drawer, but it turns out it was in Norman's. And yeah, we don't know how it's going to like affect things going forward yet. Could be a bar of soap for all we know. Could be something completely non-useful. Maybe it's a jetpack. It's one That'd of those Acme like, jetpacks. So did like Crone put something there in between going to the gate? In between getting the letter and going to the gate? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we saw it in the previous episode. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Yeah, it's, it was with the pin. Uh, it was that box. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We saw the fancy pin uh, mm-hmm. as well, too. As, as That's the tip-off. conveniently deploys into a glider <laughs> yep yep <laughs> it's a it, entirely like infinite and renewable at the same time energy source that pin so so what i'm i'm wondering is the plan was he was going to destroy the tracking device mm-hmm. and he was not going to be found and he was okay. kind of going to stick stick around mm-hmm yeah, right? I think he was. So gonna, it was going to be that? inside the wall rather than over. Yeah, the wall. I thought so too. So yeah. why why didn't he do that? 
That was the plan. The plan was destroy the tracking device and stick around. I think he wanted to go uh, tell. Th- well, he had to go tell them, like because they. He could have, because Ray has to bring him food. Right, but I think he wants that, well, to that's tell why them. Ray mentioned. Ray mentioned that he was going to have a ladder so he could throw food over. So the plan was for him to go over the wall. Because if he because dis- if he had disappeared, I think that's different. Um, uh, those are like he. They mentioned the ladder as as a, in a different thing. Like he said, "Hey, we'll no, bring it's you literally food. it's a sentence after." Right, but I don't think that they say they'll take him food over the wall because, like, they tell him you're going to pretend like you've escaped, but you'll stay here. Okay. Um, and and if the, the the ladder thing is actually, they say, like, what if Norman's like, what if I escape and they make the wall higher and they say, oh, we'll hmm. just build the ladder to get over it when we escape. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I am I I am of the opinion based on what we see here that the intent was for him to get over there because if he let's basically if he went, he stayed on the wall side and never got over. And the tracking device was disabled. Then they would find him eventually just by having people come and look for him. They bring people in to go search for him. But they wouldn't. Like that was their whole thing. Is like they wouldn't do anything to disrupt the, the whole thing. The life was of that the kids, monsters you know I mean? wouldn't show up. I guess yeah. the thing is, since it's outside the kind of fence area, children wouldn't be supposed to be there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they, so with people. they could it's... send people outside of the area where children are supposed to be. You're assuming mm-hmm. there there are people to send, which I don't. I'm not sure is the case. They might send an assistant, Mom. They I think, I think, we're, I think again, we're getting too... We are getting hung up on this. Because it, it doesn't <laughs> matter. Neither shit matters. Neither shit matters. All right, so talking points then. Uh, do any of you guys have something to throw out there first? Let me, let me hit the sounder. It doesn't officially start until I play this. Talking points. There. There. Now we can officially do our talking points. <laughs> Uh, I've got quite a few, uh, but I'm I'm willing to let other people go first if they want. No, nah, go for it. Okay. So I think so. I've written down a lot of my talking points as uh, as questions, but I think kind of a central theme of all these questions I have uh, is that for me, I'm finding that the real kind of gold in this show the real stuff that i'm kind of latching on to as i watch uh this story animated you know as i experience it a second time is like less about um the puzzle box aspect of it because i've already seen this part of it play out and more about Mm -hmm. like me grasping the kid's mindset through all this really Mm -hmm. putting myself in their shoes and trying to experience all this stuff through their eyes and and through their perspective. And I'm really, really enjoying that, like having that as my kind of primary framing. Mm. Um, so my first question to you guys about this. So there's a, a part near the beginning of the episode where Don is talking about Sister Crone. Mm-hmm. And he's like, yesterday she was here and everything was fine. She was doing her usual stuff. Today, mm-hmm. she's no longer anywhere in this world. And it made me wonder, like, what, what is these kids' concept of death actually like? Mm-hmm. Like, what do you think that, mm. how do they experience thinking about death? You know what I mean? Because this is such a controlled environment. Um, yeah. You know, you know, you just give me a thought, actually. So, okay, we have... The kids' life cycles maps out at this point. They're born, they grow till about they're 11 or a little younger, depending on how they score, and then they ship's out. So my question is this, then, in response, and it's not really an answer, but 
why did they formulate this fiction about them going to foster homes? Why not simply paint it as a, you know, like the end of your lifetime, your ascension from your mortal body or something like that? Make it kind of a religious or spiritual thing where they're consumed for the demons like as a worthy sacrifice. Because if you could control the kids, like, you know, worldviews in such a way, like, as you rightly said, like, their concepts of death, why not cultivate that from the start? Why keep this illusion? Why not be? Why not tell them a half truth or even a falsified truth, like or a white lie about it, and lead into it? Maybe. Hmm. So I was going to say, in this case, they have tons of books. If you have a book about like Morse code and shit, you probably have a book where someone kind of dies in mm-hmm. it, right? Yeah. Well, so it's like I, I, was... I would assume through fiction they might have had kind of some idea of what death is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then again, the question is, like, if you can so consciously control the environment, like, it's like I asked about the Minerva thing. Why put the books there in the first place if you can control what goes in there? So, so perhaps this is kind of explored in one of the other plants. Uh, I, I can kind of assume that the plants are different. But oh, like vaults. Case... They're vaults from Fallout. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but, but maybe, like, in this case, they found out that it leads to worse results somehow because it makes the children kind of grow up thinking about life in a different way. They're thinking about life as, as being shorter. They're more stressed about doing stuff, you know, uh, stuff, you know, probably something brain magic. <laughs> brain magic. Brain magic. Just the word like, brain magic. <laughs> it's fair to say, like, you know, like, if you have, you know, if you want them to grow up, like, to have big brains and all that, then obviously having them be intellectually, you know, stimulated uh, would still be worthwhile. Without getting to the weeds, like I just like for the concepts of death. I think they must have an idea of it. I mean, like they said, like Connie's dead, so they must know like what it must mean to be in a state of life versus not on life, or so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, by which I mean she wasn't turned into a lich or anything like that. But <laughs> God, imagine if she came back, like just with the flowers, she's just like, "Hey, Don, nice to see you again. Where's my bunny?" And then Don's like, oh my god, that sounds like a fucking grim. nightmare Don would actually have. Yeah. yeah, yeah, like the nightmares the kids have already had that we've that we've seen thus far. Um, I think it's probably a fairly standard concept of death in that case, then, because maybe also maybe that's part of controlling it. Because one of the ways in which you know we choose not to do risky things is through fear. I'm not talking about like you know spooky, scary skeletons in the closet shit. I'm talking like, you know, I don't want to climb up that tree because I'm afraid I might fall and break my leg. Yeah. Um, it's that kind of thing. So maybe giving them a sense of like what death is and how death might occur through injury uh, could be a way of doing it. Like, oh, if you climb up the wall and you fall over, you'll kill yourself, which at the height they probably would actually. So Yeah, uh, it's, it's fucking four-year-old children when they get there. They've, there have probably been a lot of injuries and mm-hmm. stuff. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think would say they have a decent idea. Mm-hmm. And I think probably one of the reasons you know, I was thinking, Shadan, on what you said, that uh, the the demons don't kind of fabricate more history uh, or, or or any of that stuff. I'm I'm going to go out of universe here and say like the I think maybe the author reason for it. Um, I don't know if I said this when we had our last talk about it, but like I feel that if there's more. This particular reason, I mean, like, I feel that it would create more layers between us and the kids. You know what I mean? Like, in identifying with them, if, like, 
the way they experience these like things like death and separation and all that were like through this prism of like a weird false religion. Like mm. I think if they're just don't have all that, like it's it's easier for us to relate to them and kind mm. of figure out like kind of get inside their heads and think about like what they're what so they're going through and empathize. It's less of a it's less of a digestive reason, more making it more comprehensible for us to relate to them. Yeah, I, I can still understand that certainly. Yeah, I'm not criticizing it, by the way, because I think that you know there's it's a lot an interesting going on question. Behind. Yeah, I because I, I think there's a lot going on. Like you know, I'm still not entirely convinced that this whole, you know, we wanted to get the free children who, or children who would escape eventually as like the ultimate goal of whatever they're doing or some or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, after all, why leave the books by Minerva in there and the things for Morse code and all that? Never, I mean, something to mention about Morse code. Never mind Minerva being there. If you wanted to communicate secretly with someone else. Like you could have Morse code, you know, be a language you would use. So mm-hmm. you, you know, you leave like notes behind. You don't even have to write it, like you know, speak. You could just like you know, write it out. But anyway, um, but yeah, I think it's probably a yeah. standard thing just to not keep them in line. And and also, I mean, we don't need to discount the. I, I think you mentioned this before, like that maybe they're like hoping for some kind of long shot, like you know, person to to figure it out and go beyond this. Like maybe that's all part of the test. You know what I mean? Like mm. in some shitty matrix sort of way, who knows? Yeah. Oh, um, by the way, something, something I just want to mention. Um, so you recall that we found out that it was Isabella who tried to escape last time. Quick, quick, small question. Here. Do you reckon that the reason she stopped was because she simply saw that abyss? I was thinking about that too. Maybe. Because yeah. I would find it a bit strange, like in the running time of this civilization, this system, um, if that if Isabel was the literally the first one to escape, and then they did the abyss after the fact. Because bear in mind, they want to keep the kids' lives as undisrupted as possible. So can you just imagine all the excavation equipment they'd have to put to build those abysses? <laughs> like, like, and then someone's like, "Mom, what's that noise?" And this is, "Oh, hush, honey, it's fine." <laughs> so I'm getting monsters that- in the forest. Oh, fuck. <laughs> like that's actually half true funnily enough just not in the forest <laughs> so you're quite right there but then um, yeah i think it was always there and isabella like you know maybe her coming back to grandma or mom at the time was not so much you know i'm gonna do this because you know maybe i should trust her in the end more because she had no choice because right right like that there was some kind of obstacle there that that she yeah. couldn't and like theoretically if the kids are able to escape they'll have gone beyond what even isabella was able to do yeah, and that might also then retroactively explain some more of her backstory and how she came to the way she is. Because, mm-hmm. like Norman, as we see at the end, of this looks pretty fucking defeated. Mm. He's done. And so Isabella, like doing that on her own, because I'm assuming she didn't have, uh, you know, people helping her with this. Like, how could she react? So, like, you know, oh, I'm fucked. That's it. Game over. My one attempt, my one chance to escape is thwarted by this insurmountable obstacle. So when I get, and then when she gets approached from momhood, like I said before, she might as well lean into it. It's futile. Why should I bother resisting? I might as well do the best I can. And that might have then, you know, led us being the twisted person she is today. Hmm. Um, so Manira makes an interesting point in chat about the, the reason to keep it, uh, to about being uh, adopted by a loving family versus, um, you know, being a sacrifice to the demons and, regardless of whether or not it's like kind of 
painted up as a good and noble and moral thing, that there might still be some degree of stress and anxiety. Yeah, that's what uh, I said, basically. Uh, you know, involved. Yeah, yeah. Uh, whereas, like, there's none of that when you're like, you know, going to get adopted. Like and love you someone, have your so. whole life ahead of you. So, yeah, all ten yeah. minutes of it. <laughs> no, no. Um, okay, well. Uh, I have well, I, I have mean, more, yeah. but I want to. I have I'll to look at mic. life with rose-tinted spectacle. Oh no! I said, I said rose. It's a joke. Because they die. <laughs> stop it! And then the flower. <laughs> stop it! Uh, I'll pass the mic though. If someone else wants to do a point, I'm actually showing talking points this week. So, Vigeli, do you have one? No. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, all right. So, I'll. I'll. So, my next thing is so if uh if we're gonna go with the idea that like you know the kids have a fairly kind of standard you know basically healthy idea for someone their age of like what death is and the concept of death Mm. like thinking about like I i think we don't stop and think enough about like what it would be like for an 11 year old maybe or even younger to like have to accept their own mortality and like really come face to face with it in this in this real and it's feelingly terrifying and and not yeah yeah, and not just like i will die someday but like here is the deadline on my life and the end is going to be pretty gruesome (laughs) and i think we don't really explore it here at all because these are not 11 year olds these are big big brain geniuses we kind of see it with norman we see his kind of totally more calm kind of introspective realization of what's going to happen and then he immediately like kind of snaps he's like i'm gonna take the system down with me i'm gonna Mm. try to destroy mom so we don't really see it even yeah even even with fucking dawn Don was was like, oh my god, Connie's dead. He runs outside and he's like, oh my god, I'm not strong. I'm not strong. And then like two minutes later, he's like, great, okay, I'll do it. I'll get out. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's in some way like unreal to them, even then. In a way, yeah, maybe. You know, where as opposed to like Norman's, like you know, tomorrow. You know, well, yeah, <laughs> you're, yeah, Norman you're is done. like it's like yeah, tomorrow. Yeah. And yeah, even yeah. then, he has like. Two to three minutes of realization before he kind of his resolve takes over, and he's yeah. like, "Yeah, I'm gonna f- do some yeah. shit. I'm gonna break some ATMs, <laughs> some ATMs, <laughs> kick kick out some cop car windows, exactly. <laughs> break some no. some windows." Uh, now you're just making me imagine Norman coming back from the wall with like a TV under his arms. He's losing for the <laughs> just like more like Rage Against just, the Machine. <laughs> shopping yeah totally. Um, well well just to carry on with the idea of like you know kids understanding death like side point like here like in a lot media these days like is obviously age categorized you know so certain things are taboo to be shown to children like ultra violence sex nudity drugs swearing etc but i also think that unless you happen to be don blue because don blue was a baller uh a lot of children's material of aimed at that age group would tend to avoid the thorny subjects of death itself and mortality I mean, we, you know... Unless you're Don Bluth or Disney. Fucking Disney ruined me. God damn it. Well, yeah. 
Lion King, I suppose. Well, the moms in like Bambi, The Land Before Time, oh that wasn't God. Disney, that was someone else. But like both of those movies, Don Bluth. Like I was like three. Were those both Don Bluth joints? With uh, Land Before the Time. Time. Well, that well, yeah, that fucking like, makes it. And then Bambi, like the mom dying, and both of those fucked me up royally. Yeah. But then again, though, that happened off screen. You could take it; she just got lost. Anyway, um, like they were full on in on that, and. I think for me, like I've said before, that if you want to view The Promised Neverland as a young adult or like piece of fiction in the vein of like Maze Runner and all that other stuff I talked about previously, the idea that I put forward was that that kind of fiction is predicated on taking the internalized, you know, growing to understand the wider world as you grow past that point from being a child to being a teenager, and then beyond that, uh, and making it into external things. That's why you often see the these kind of works in, in close spaces, like the maze runner, the titular maze thereof, the Hunger Games, you've got the game, and then they get outside the game, and then... Um, so the game, and you got the hunger, and oh, fuck. Yeah. The game of hunger. Uh, you've got all of oh it. My God. Um, but I think that maybe that might be part of it, then, that now that they've come aware of their mortality, that's part of their... why, Like, in the youth, young adult uh, structure of them learning of the wider world that, you know, they've lived in this enclosed space where they've been safe and comfortable. And now not only is death a concept that they are aware of, like instantly, but on top of that, they're aware that that is their fated end prematurely and yeah. not for their own choice. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then there's the whole, like, you know, particularly brutal aspect of it. You know, you'll be cannibalized by a monster. Yeah. Like, uh, well, not cannibalized, but uh, you'll be, you'll be, your head will be ripped open your brain will be sucked out by a fucking monster like that's uh are you are you that's... telling me that the that he slash him is the brain bug from starship troopers <laughs> that's what i'm telling you you know it was uh he slash him is afraid <laughs> you know Tom... would you like to know more <clears throat> like thomas hobbs uh that famous cranky shitty philosopher from your neck of the woods shadon uh, you know, he was, he said like that man's number one fear isn't fear of death, but fear of violent death. So like mm -hmm. this whole particular aspect of it, I think adds a lot to the kid's anxiety. And I, I like, I want to set the CG part aside of the Norman walking down the hall scene and just like take a moment to clap for it. Cause I thought it was incredible like that just they had this really this long scene of him walking down the hall in silence mm. and you're just sort of thinking like what is he thinking you know you're not seeing his face like what's what's happening what's going through his mind and he can't turn mm. on the water like he's so like he's struggling to turn on the water turns it on and it's so funny like that's not funny but like so he has his kind of moment of vulnerability and you and i have often talked uh Shadon about like shower scenes being this kind of place where people in in cinema can can be vulnerable and express and like mm -hmm. kind of open up um i thought it was interesting that water was in the scene and it just made me think like what is it about like running water the sound of water the presence of water like maybe it's just evocative to something in our subconscious about like being in the womb and we feel able to be vulnerable and open or something like that. That's maybe me overthinking it, but it's just it interesting how in that in that moment is when he he really has his like human his really human 
moment. Mm. Um, well, the, the thing is, like, all that walking, like, every step he takes is, like, oh. towards his end at this point. Oh. Like, call me crazy, but oh. it reminded me a little bit of the Green Mile. Mm. <sighs> wow. Kind of. A little bit. How like, so? Just, to, just, just conceptually, like, you know, that's the final walk for him, or one of the final walks he's going to do. Like, his death is imminent. It's like his execution, basically. He's just that he's going to be, you know, executed by, you know, Eldritch Abomination as opposed to being put to the electric chair. Yeah. Yeah. It really, it does kind of seem sort it's of a death, death marchy. Yeah. Boy. Um, that, that scene was amazing. Um, and the music during that scene, there's two, like the music during this scene and then the insert song mm-hmm. when Norman is running up the wall, we're like, Oh, we're so good. They were so good. Man, you, you, you know, you know, right. I was, I was listening to this and I thought, where have I heard this before? Or rather, what have I heard of before that sounds like this and reminds me of it? And it hit me. It reminds me of Near Samasa's soundtrack. Mm. Yes. Because holy so shit, right. it, sounded to me, it sounded to me like va- the Vague Hope track. Like that kind of like melancholia mixed with a mild bit of hope and redemption yeah. with it. Like, but also with that, like you know, oncoming moments of tragedy uh, tinged in the music. Like, I mean, I'm no music critic myself, but I, like that's the thing that struck me, and it had that same kind of feel. The OST for this entire series, thus far, has been magnificent, in my opinion. Yep. Although they have also done something really nice, which is that they again have made vexed use of choosing not to have music at certain scenes just for maximum effects. Yeah. When you feel like your ears are going to pop because about silent is, like when you know when. Norman is coming back, and we haven't seen him yet, and Isabella's checking the pocket watch. I don't recall that there was any music at that point. All we really heard was the reactions like, of the characters. Mm-hmm. But I felt that was infinitely better than the alternative, which would be to have, like, you know, uh, say, a, a violin going, you know, like, very slow, like, violin, like, to help. So I think that it's much better to go with silence sometimes and to have, you know, some sort of music, and even if it's really good music. I agree. I agree. Um, so, next question. Uh, unless mm-hmm. unless there are more thoughts on that scene. Uh, I'm good. Okay. Um, so, when the three of the kids are in the room where Emma's laid up, and they're talking, and Norman is revealing to them, like, look, I'm not going to fight this. Uh, I'm just going to just going to go off into that sweet night. Um, and Ray starts listing off like alternative plans. Like we could do this. We could do that. And Norman's like, nah, nah. And Ray's like, no, 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 we could, we could do this. Here's a thing. Like Ray starts like sweating, visibly sweating. And mm-hmm. like, I wanted to ask you guys, like what's going on with Ray? Like, what does he fear here? Like, why is he so anxious mm-hmm. about this? Well, well, He's taken the other two as kind of a granted thing. Like, they are the thing that will help him escape, right? They've been in, in his life for the entire time. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want to give that up. Okay. Um, I think for me... You said... Like... <laughs> well, that's a fair question, actually. Like, Ray, for the most of this series, has been, like, you know, very coldly pragmatic. Like, oh, you know, leave the rest of him here. We'll, us five, no, us three, and then us five will go. And now, as I mentioned before, he's had a complete U-turn to where, although Norman's death would, on paper, benefit him and Emma's escape later. Right. Uh, like, you know, he doesn't want it to happen. Why has that change happened? 
Um, is it because he's saving face? Is it because he has genuinely changed? Who could say? By the forms. So up until the end of last episode, or rather the midpoint of last episode, Ray felt like he was in complete control of Isabella, or rather he had her understood, and that he could get what he needed from her without being at risk himself. He was constantly, you know, in a kind of chess battle with her, but he had it, he had it figured. He was comfortable. Mm-hmm. He felt in control. And to his credit, he was, because he does have the completed tracking device, uh, vice breaker, which he wouldn't have had without her assistance. But I think that at this point, Ray is now completely off the map, so to speak. He's off the trail yeah. that he set for himself. And so I think him sweating and being very shouty and yelly when otherwise he might not be, is I think him that, you know, basically making shit up as he goes along, there's all plans that he had to <laughs> put. And I'm not saying that he's doing a bad job of that, but like his his idea of getting Norman out now and then falling later, I think, is the wisest course of action they had available. But I think that it just goes to show, like, for someone who felt so in control, like, and had the mechanics of it all works out, and maybe even trusted Isabella a little bit. Not fully, mm. of course, because she was never his, uh, truly his ally. But I think at this point, like, you know, maybe that's, you know, sweating and nervous nature and the yelling and shouting and all that from him is at this point him just like, I don't know what to do. If I have to, you know, fly by the sea in my pants here and, you know, make sure as I go along, I will. And that shows in his character now. I, that's so interesting. Like, and I think, I think both of you are, are correct. And I also think there's another dimension ding, to it. Yeah, uh, you, it's the, the fiddler on the roof thing. You were mm. right. You were right too. You were also right. Um, the other dimension to it that I, and I'll see if you guys disagree with me. Like I'm of the opinion that like, while it is true that a part of him is freaking out cause he's in uncharted waters. Uh, and you know, one of the most valuable tools he'd been banking on for his escape is about to leave his grasp. That's true. I think that there's a part of him that also gives a shit like about Norman like yeah, you know, absolutely. like yeah. I, th- I think he does care because he's one of the only people that he could. I mean, even more so than than Emma, I think he sees Norman as an equal. Like, mm. you know, here's someone I can relate to. Here's someone I can be completely myself in front of and tell the whole truth to. Um, assuming he's done that, uh, I, I'm going to take it on good faith at this point that he hasn't like held anything back from them, and. You know, I keep going back to that one scene where he's walking down the hall and then he sees that picture of them that got drawn and has, to, you know, clicks his tongue and looks away from it really angrily because he's like, God damn it, these feelings. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, I don't want to care about them. Uh, but I think the he demons does. have to have my, have my brain instead of my heart because there's nothing there. <laughs> Yeah, totally. <laughs> no, you're right. You're right. And that's the thing about this show. Like, you know, we've been flooring stuff around, like, about the themes of it here and there and the ideas it's trying to present, uh, or what we think it is, such as, you know, oh, it's a, you know, it's a riff or a play on the idea of farming, you know, cattle and the animal treatment, ethical treatment kind of thing, or it's the educational system. But I think for me, like I've said before, it's about, like, you know, Man's inhumanity to man, and like you know, there's by comparison versus the demons who are literal physical monsters versus the monstrous, uh, the monstrous actions that people like Isabella can do. But then it's also about the idea of you know, found family and all that mm-hmm. because they're not biologically related in the slightest, none of them, at least I assume not. 
uh, would be a bit of a jump, but anyway, there's no uh, indication that's the case. Um, and indeed, like that's what Don has said previously, I thought we were a family. So it's about the family trying to hold itself together. And sometimes families have arguments, they have disagreements. Sometimes families split apart and reunite later, or maybe they don't at all. So I think that, you know, this is Ray's wake-up call to the fact that maybe, you know, he considered them a family only in a labeling kind of sense, like, you know, my family, whatever. Mm. But now I think he started to realize more and more as he's seen what's happened to them. Like, bear in mind, Emma had a leg broken by Isabella. Bear in mind that Norman's going to be, you know, turned into turkey burgers tomorrow. I I think that this is the point, like, you know, where he, start, where he started to realize that and started to actually genuinely care about them. Although I will say this, when characters like that in fiction and in real life, they might care about people. That doesn't mean they're still going to lose their edge. And I reckon if someone went up to Ray Point Blank and said, do you love, familial love, that is, Emma and Norman, he probably will, please. Yeah. I wonder if he doesn't even <laughs> understand himself, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He would never admit it, I would say. Or if he is going to admit it, it's going to be a lot further down the road. Um, but yeah, I think that's the key elements of this of this tale. That's uh, what it's about. First and foremost. So, let me just finish writing a poll, and then I will get to the next. You know, you know what? The show must go on. So, <laughs> oh, this is also interesting. I, I, I really like Ray now. Like, I like, yes, I, yes, like I like, I like, I like Ray <laughs> as like, oh no, all my plans are fucked. Like, way more than like. <laughs> like, allow me to calculate some more. Like, you know I'm what so I mean? I'm so surprised he just constantly swishes hair back. Yeah, exactly. I think he's way more interesting now, like, reacting to all mm. this stuff. Um. Okay. Final question I have, unless there's more Ray talk. Not for now. Um. Here's... Boy. How to ask this question. Uh, why do you think, why do you think Norman came back? Like, what's happening there? Because he had no choice. Do you think it's uncomplicated? I, th I think it's as simple as this. Norman got up there. I'm of the opinion that he was meant to get on the other side of the wall and stay there until they joined him. He obviously couldn't because of the giant fucking 500 feet crevasse of death that's in front of him. I mean... Don't know about you, but the DC of that is probably something pretty high. He ain't rolling a natural 20 on that and getting across. So, okay. No, I think it's the horror game. It's Call of Cthulhu. He needs to roll above 97. Oh, sh you know, you just made me realize it's, something. It's a Theo 100. You, you've just made me realize something. What if they put an Indiana Jones here? <laughs> they, I'm, I'm no, talking specifically no about the, no the, no, the, last, the Last Crusade. You know, where he's like, take a step of faith, and it turns out it's just a painted on oh, thing oh on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> oh fuck okay i think i think it, i think norman's actions here are literally just those of being pragmatic i can't get over the the abyss i haven't broken my tracking device yet i could do it right now but i'm not going to because it would tip isabella off that something's wrong i'll come back i can at least then warn um emma and ray that that is there so they can try and come up with an alternative it might mean my own death because there's obviously not time for us to really you know Come up with a new plan in what? Well, let me check my watch. Twenty minutes, <laughs> give or take. Like you know, clocks are ticking here. It is nearly nightfall. Um. So 
I think it's just literally as is. I don't think that mm. it was anything other than a pragmatic response to the situations in front of him. A pretty shitty hand he's been dealt. I think he was making the best of it for the benefit of his friends more than anything else. Because the alternative was, like say, go back inside, maybe disable the tracking device and wander the outskirts, hoping that none of the other kids have followed and find him. Like, I mean, if you know Don Gilder, Emma, or, um, well, not Emma specifically because he's broken the leg, but Don uh, Gilder or Ray wants to go game food. Well, Isabel's like, right, tracking device out. You've not broken yours. Where the fuck are you going? Oh, hi, Norman. <laughs> oh, hello there. Hi. <laughs> Didn't realize you'd be hiding in the woods, you know, for the past two days. How have you been doing? Made friends with squirrels yet? And there's there's like a squirrel corpse half eaten next to <laughs> Don't get me don't get me side on shit I've seen in like Grisaya with the fucking oh You have a, you still you still haven't read that God damn it. I could be making so many references. <laughs> You're surprised that I haven't read that or that Doc has The Doc 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 okay, specifically. Okay. He was he was halfway through reading it. And believe me, like the Angelic Howl uh, subplot, oh, which Jesus. I was halfway through ignoring it because I, I don't. I at the, at the time I was like, I don't know if I can handle this because <laughs> uh, Mishiru's mm-hmm. plot alone was like Ooh. fucked me up real bad. And we're like, these other ones might be worse. And it's like, shit, they are. I there's, no, there's no two ways about it. I was like getting Angelica- getting diagnosed with depression and stuff last year. <laughs> it's just like, I don't know if I want yeah, this. Yeah, I understand. And Jolly Cowell was like, uh, like a one-line punchline to the horrific shit that happens in it. And I was screaming at it, but I can't tell you it. God, anyway. What are they talking about? This visual, uh, you, this you, visual you, novel. <laughs> this visual novel called... It's uh, a really great visual novel. It's, yeah, uh, the Fruit it's of just Grisaya. incredibly brutal. Mm-hmm. Like, shit be fucked up in that. Mm-hmm. Man, mm. I'm I'm not gonna make those jokes. Not gonna make them. Stuffing them down. Uh, Regalia, why do you think? Why do you think Norman came back? Do you think it's? Do you agree? That it's oh no, absolutely. What what what? Um, Felix is saying. Yeah, I, I want to see my friends before I die. You know, I want to. Mm. Tell them Could be, like, you there's, there's no yeah. reason for him to do anything else. Mm. That's fair. Yeah. So, I, yeah, no, I think that's actually that's really interesting. I think that's right. Um, my initial read on it was just so our friend James Beckett at Kick the Beckett posted uh, a tweet that got a fair bit of traction over the weekend. Mm-hmm. I think about how emotionally exhausted the kids were. And that you could yes, see absolutely. it on their faces. Yeah. And And that was he used the screenshot from the beginning of the episode. But they were already super tired. Yeah. Like super just exhausted yeah. from everything. And then, then you see the fucking cliff. You're like, that's it. Okay. We had a good run. I like, yeah, I mean, God, like Norman had I mean, think about his kind of roller coaster of emotions, right? Like they're gonna escape, they're doing well, the plan is going well. Oh, Isabella found us, and she fucked up our plan. Uh, mm. I, and I'm going to be shipped out, down, down, down. Uh, don't worry, guys. I'm just going to accept death. Like I, I've had my good cry about it. I've I've freaked out. I'm going to no. Wait a minute. They're talking me into it. They're talking me into living. Yes. Let's you know the whole like okay. let's live, let's live. And he's crying. And he's like, okay, okay, <laughs> I'll do it. You know. And and then he gets to the. 
goddamn wall mm-hmm. and sees the cliff and it's he's down to get like I just think like all the reasons you said are are right but I think this is also something right here this de- total defeat is definitely part, yes. it's it's part of what separates Norman from Emma cuz I think like Emma is strong enough to where she would have even found a way to overcome this, just like she's overcoming her broken leg to still do this. Like Norman, Norman just very intensely by by eating his heart (laughs) and drinking all her milk, even though she doesn't like it. She'll drink all of it to heal the bones. Uh, Like it's just one punch too many, man. Like Norman just couldn't take another one. This was the knockout blow. And he just, yeah, he looked so, he looks like a fucking husk. Like you said, coming back, like, to the house it was so hard to watch if if emma's leg wasn't broken would he have had the same reaction if emma was there with him it would have gone completely different i feel like well yeah he depends wants to play off like but i think that they would have been still very defeated by because i mean that that cliff like it's huge the gap is monstrous like i said unless you happen to be you know fucking spider-man or some shit you aren't getting across that. I can't conceive of a way that they could do it with the materials they have on hand. Not unless they like made like wingsuits out of bed sheets or something like that. And even then, how would they know they'd work? And they don't have the time to do it. Here. So I think the wall plan is out. Hmm. I think it's completely gone at this point. I mean, how on earth are they gonna get all the kids over there, come to think of it? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a good question. So what are oh, they? I have do? A They're going to poison mom. I have a phone. We're going to go to the back to the fake plan and poison Ma. Ah, I have an idea. I have a thought. I'm saying nothing. So, so okay, let's talk about walls for a second. There's going to be a mild bit of diversion into political stuff oh because trust me, I'm going to keep I'm going to keep this brief because I only want to bring this up because it gives me an idea of what they're going to do. What part of the wall is the so, tit- Titan hidden in? Is what I want to know. Well, well. Okay. So, okay, okay. Drug smuggling. Let's talk about drug smuggling very briefly. How does the vast majority of drugs get into somewhere on a, on a landmass between two countries? And the answer to that question, believe it or not, is through legal ports of entry. It's not, you know, through the illegal sections, you know, like where you cross, you know, without anyone watching. It goes through legal. Mm-hmm. You smuggle yourself through, or you smuggle drugs through. I am so here's a, the a flower merchant. <laughs> yes. I sell flower. Yes. So... Okay, that, with that in mind, next point. Now, obviously, the kids do go to the gate when they get shipped out and then are taken somewhere. But in order for them to be taken across the wider world from the plants, like, it, the system isn't just enclosed with them stopping at headquarters. There has to be another way for them to proceed from beyond headquarters into the wider world than to ship the kids out in. That seems like a reasonable guess. Mm. So, so, here's my thinking. Like I've said, made this analogy before. Sometimes when you stare in the, into the sun or stare into the light, go right into it. Ray dismissed the idea of going into the headquarters. What if that's what exactly what they need to do to break out? It's going to be balls deep hard for them to do it. It's going to be like some Shadow Moses shit, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but that to me is the only option that they have at this point because the like, I can't. I can't think to myself like how they were going to get across the wall if the if the thing circles the entire you know area. That's the only way they're going. But bear in mind as well something else: they still have Chrome's package. 
What is instead yeah, of Chrome's package seems like it would work a lot more with Canada Gate. Maybe it's like a remote control. Maybe it's ID card. ID card, exactly. Huh. Yep, ID card of some description. Hmm. So that's my feeling on what they're going to do next. But I have a, oh I have, a, Doc's, I have a tangent. Doc's, of... Doc's poker face is so horrible. <laughs> well. So I'm, just, about... I'm sorry. It's called, because I'm just laughing at the phrase Crohn's package for some reason. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why. Like that's... You're, you're diverting from your, the actual reason. That's distracting me. Uh... <laughs> distracting me. Anyway. Right. Okay. Anyway, well, I, like... so, so Ray, like, like two years ago, asked for a pack of cigarettes, and now he's going to find the hidden lasers <laughs> yes. in the game room. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. Ray, Emma's been shot. You need to go back to the army for a PSG one. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit. Well the thing is, right, um, jokes aside, this also is an interesting way of expanding on the world building because then by going through the headquarters and whatever's involved there, we get to see a little bit behind the curtain. Like maybe we get it's the most natural way for them to learn more info about the demons, because uh, that would be where they get more info from. They could see some of the adults, etc. etc. That kind of thing. Um but I have a a secondary question I want to throw out from this, which is, would you be disappointed um, if it turned out the main reason that they escape is because of Crone's, like, present being left behind? Hmm. Are you okay there, Doc? <laughs> I'm not. I'm very much no, not. I think not. <laughs> Why do you type things? <laughs> For <Gilea. laughs> For the audio-only crowd, Vorgelia has typed in the chat, mm-hmm. can brains bloom on the battlefield? <laughs> Isabel is is disguised as a friendly uh, scientist wearing glasses. Oh Hi, Emma. Did you like my sunglasses? <laughs> I can make these jokes all day. Man. But that's the question I asked. Okay. Like, do you, would you be disappointed if that turned out to be the main or only reason they get out in the end? Boy. No, I haven't thought about. Crone this. is like take the fucking system down. Crane, Crone was miserable. What the hell? No, no, no. You misunderstand what I'm getting at here. My, for me, I feel it might be a little disappointing because I would want the kids to succeed because of their own plans and you know, like we've been building them up all this time to be this intelligent and capable of okay, these so ideas and schemes. But then it, no, it's all for naught. Going through the gate with Crone stuff. It's it's like a tiny step in actually going through the headquarters and like making it through and then making it outside in the world. It's like okay, th- this yeah. this show is like throwing so many punches, right? Fucking wall, a fucking pit, a fucking whatever. Like okay, so many kind of divine interventions, even like oh, you climb the thing now there's a pit. Oh, like. You know, and children are like, oh, I give you a swear. No, a magic mirror, it reflects to you. No, magic mirror breaker. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Oh. Right. <laughs> no, that's, that's fair. I'm thinking just more in terms of this little arc here, because mm-hmm. the way I can see this panning out is if my theory holds true, we'll have the farm arc, the headquarters arc, and then wider world, like that. But if the main reason they escape the farm bit is just because of outside help, Unless there's a larger point with that, which is that they simply are not going to be able to do it without some sort of outside assistance, and that's a constant reminder for them, and maybe even builds into their later fears and anxieties, that it took us that much to get out, and now we're on the next bit. How can we possibly go for this challenge now? Like, you know, we had outside help previously. We can't count on that anymore. We don't have it. How do we get past this? 
Um, I don't know. I, I feel it's shortchanging a little. I know what a you're little. saying. I know what you're saying. But I I can't comment on this <laughs> one way or another. So I think it is much. Yeah. Yeah. Um Do you what what role do we think Phil is gonna play in the uh do we think Phil will play a role at all in all seriousness in the uh in the coming Alright. Jokes aside, and I know this is gonna sound crazy, he's gonna be the one who stabs mom when they when she's trying to stop him. Like, <laughs> you think so? That'd be amazing. I think, I think I think that Phil's got some like they've spent a lot of time focusing on him. Assembly is right in the point. Oh my God, yes, every single every single scene where it's like, oh, here's a bunch of tiny children. Someone's doing the bunch of tiny children. Phil is always the first fucking child. Yes. Phil is the I mean, first one every scene. This, He's everywhere. I mean, He's watching. This little I know. Uh, blue materia eyed boy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, fucking Norman's eyes in this one were super like weird. Because he mm. was dying. Oh. You know, he was dead inside. Yeah. yeah, but they had like weird circles and like weird shit. Like, Especially are they all at, the, at the end, for sure. Did Phil or did Phil make like a bunch of child robots so that he has company? <laughs> Possessed him. Yeah, quite possibly. I mean, it's it, Phil is going to have some sort of involvement. Although I will find that quite funny if it turns out he does something that because he's only like five years old. Four. I don't know. Fail. Fail. No, he's five thousand years old. <laughs> Sorry, true, I true, forgot. True. Yeah, yeah. When, when when the black star itself descended from the heavens and smashed, yeah, yeah. And Phil just walks out and he's like banana, <laughs> moving over the face Phil, of the Phil waters. Phil just kind of walks out and goes, meh. <laughs> <laughs> And thus, humanity was born. He pulls out his galaxy and he's like, wow, what a shizzle. Yeah. <laughs> yes. From the meh of the gods, we were born. Damn. Uh, well, I mean, I, I don't know. I genuinely don't know. I'm, I'm joking there, like a little bit when I say it's just stab as well. But I mean, they have placed a lot of weighty emphasis on mm-hmm. me. You think Onion Kid's going to do shit before this series ends? Exactly. You are foolish. Onion Kid is going to die first, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Rip Onion Kid. Oh, man. Uh, well, th- those are the talking points I have. Uh, that's all I've got this week. Um, I'm good. I'm good as well. I'm good also. All right. Well, let's. Cool. We'll, we can check in on Twitter again real quick here. Or do we write the episode first? I don't remember how we do this. I brought. Okay. Well, let's let's now do. That we're not. Now that we're not talking about the anime, Shadon rotated just strategically enough to hide the ketchup so I don't make fun of it. It's just on my shoulder. You can still see it. Sh- sh- okay. I mean, now as they said it, so, so that you can guilt trip me. So <laughs> show the ketchup to the audience. <laughs> this episode brought to you by Heinz Ketchup. <laughs> I had a burger before. I'm just not taking it down yet. <laughs> Who was... Who was Heinz? Was there a Heinz in an anime we watched together? Uh, that was uh, Delta, Prince Heinz. Yeah! That's <laughs> Delta. I was going to say. Why did we not make this joke? <laughs> I'm pretty sure I did. I feel like I made the joke, but. No, well, it, like it, 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 here's how the advert goes. When I finish, you know, mind fucking an entire civilization, <laughs> I enjoy chips with Heinz ketchup. That's right. <laughs> the official tomato paste of whatever their. Race of beings was called. I can't remember the uh, that will connect humanity. Yeah, <laughs> Feel we're all joined by love. To each other. Yes. <laughs> we're jo- bonds of love and ketchup. 
Also has reduced shelf salt and sugar. Yes. Yes. Okay, let's check in on Twitter. Rich in alien gut vermins. So we have <laughs> we have several polls this week. We got four. Um, and you can vote on these for the next week. Uh, they will probably be up uh, still by the time we do the next... No, the next episode, I think, is going to come next Tuesday. So these will close before. Excuse me. <clears throat> Did the CG detract from Norman's big scene in this episode? So far, 62% say no. I was so invested, it did not detract. Uh, mm-hmm. Is the infantile amnesia thing stupid? <laughs> there are three choices, and the the winning choice right now is, eh, it's whatever. Uh, yes, super stupid has 30%, it's whatever has 50%, and 20% say no, it's great, shut up. Ah, may I interject briefly just to offer a thought? Mm-hmm. What if he was like... What if he was lying? What if he's got another reason that he found out? Huh. Well, I don't think he was. I don't know. Because we, uh... we've seen him just now. We talked about how we saw him like care about well, and Emma. He's showing his true colors. The thing is, you can still, as happened before in this very same show, you can still lie to try and protect someone from a horrific truth. Yeah. Could be the case. I mean, here's the thing, like, thinking of it narratively. What does Norm? What does Ray telling them all, you know, where he his knowledge came from, add to the story? Because you could just take it at face value that he knew somehow. You didn't need. We didn't need to be told specifically how he knew. So what does that add? What did we gain from that? I maybe like it gives us insight into Ray carrying this burden for all these years. And we know ah, actually, we've known we've known he's been mom's watchdog for a, a number of years, but I don't know. It's it's kind of interesting to think about to me, like you know how you know when when he's like three and four years old and he's like processing this, like how does he process that discrepancy? Like how did he kind of deal with it in his own heart and his own mind? Like when did he come to? Did he come to resent mom at some point? Like. Obviously, he never told anyone he knew. Um, I don't think. Maybe, maybe. I mean, my, maybe mom knows, but but I don't know how much Isabella knows that he knows. Um, but I think, yeah, I, I think probably the ch- the chief point of it was for us to get some sympathy for Ray, just because he's, you know, we we've seen all three kids. We've seen especially Norman and Emma are like exhausted under the weight of the burden, and we see Ray. Like, this is his whole life. Mm. You know I what I say feel that. happened? Mm? You know what I feel happened? You know, it took Norman kind of some time to have an, like the kind of breakdown. He was alone, and then he kind of started thinking about it. And then he had the kind of breakdown, the realization about stuff. It's It's very easy for me to believe that Ray was basically, for his entire life, focused on this like escape thing for his entire life, never stopped working for the escape thing, never kind of thought about anything else, never saw anyone as tools to help his escape. Mm. And now that things are shaking up. Now it's easy to see him kind of realize what he's been missing, what he, what he kind of 
wants out of people, his personal needs, how much like Emma and Norman mean to him. Well, now that he's I, kind of like half defeated in a way. Right. Well, here's the thing, right? I think this gives me more credence to my theory of they're going to go through the gate into the headquarters next. Okay. Yeah, no, no. I, I, I totally get it. Yeah. Because they'll have a frame of reference who knows from scattered yeah. memories what it's like. Mm. But, mm. like, one other thing that we've got to mention as well um, in talking about Rave, like, is that he said, what have the last six years of my life been for? When he's talking about Norman being shipped out. And the mm -hmm. answer to that is, that's not what your life has technically been for, Ray, because you were never planning on getting Norman out with you up until maybe two weeks ago. And that's not me criticizing him being a hypocrite or changing his line. That, again, is more evidence of the fact that he now changed those characters. Suddenly, this like six, these last six years of his life are no longer just about him in the soul, mm. solo game out. Now he's encapsulating at least Norman and definitely Amber as well. It's a good point. So, yeah, like if he like if he was just wanting to get on himself, like, well, he's still good. He's good for another two months. He's got his ways. So yeah. I I have to say, like, we're getting close now to the end. We're like three episodes away from the conclusion of this show. Oh boy. And your your prediction came true. Hmm? What you prediction? predicted that it's going to be like, oh, they're gonna try to escape. And the end of the season is oh, they escape now. It was makes sense. It make, that's right. It makes sense. I thought it wasn't going to be that way because I, I want to see what the shit happens. But yeah. Call him Shad Stradamus, everybody. <laughs> 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 oh, what, like the, like the time I started predicting shit from Franks, so I was like, no, I wish oh, I was wrong. Oh, man. Well, there's but, no, that one doesn't follow any logic, so you can't be blamed <laughs> for that. Thanks for that. Um, God, what was I going to say then? I was completely. Uh, fuck. Do you want oh, me to just here uh, think think about it while I read the next two points? Yeah, carry on. So, uh, were you a fan of the visual direction of Neverland Episode Nine? Um, we got fifty five percent said it was fine. Which there's three choices. There's yes, it was amazing. Nah, or it was fine. Most people are saying it was fine. I think maybe most people haven't read Miss Rand's excellent piece on it about the visual paneling. Check that out, and you will see the. The craft that went into the scene layouts, I think. If you said it was fine, your brain is officially not as big as mine. You have to You would have already been shipped out <laughs> long ago. <laughs> your low-grade demon food opinion. Look, <laughs> um, oh, your dude, brain did just... not bloom in the battlefield. <laughs> Away with you. I've remembered my point. Okay. Um, so, with three episodes from the end now, is it just me, or does it feel like, at least in terms of the characters we've spoken about the most, in terms of changing, it's been Ray? Does yeah. that feel like a reasonable... Mm -hmm. Does that not feel a little... Like, this is not... I wouldn't call this a criticism such as an observation of the show, but does that feel a little lopsided to you? Because Evan and Norma are essentially approaching this problem from the same perspective as people who never knew and now do. Mm -hmm. um, the only difference in which they approach is just their methods, where Emma is a very humanist approach, like, you know, we get everyone out, goddamn the consequences, you know, ours is to do or die, and we will try, etc., etc. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas Norman is just purely, you know, he's the thinker, but he's not really um, emotion. I wouldn't call him emotionally, you know, distant, but rather he's not focusing that as much as Emma is, whereas Ray, of course, is Captain Pragmatism. But Ray is always coming at it from the angle of having superior knowledge, and he's the one whose character has actually changed over the course of this show's run. 
Whereas Emma and Norm and her brother Wise Broadly remain the same. Emma's not, you know, had her empathy for others and her desire to save everyone dulled over time. Like, mm-hmm. we didn't have a scene in this episode that I could see happening in another version of the show where she goes, maybe I can't do it. Maybe we do have to leave people behind. Maybe I'm the one who should be left behind. Maybe I'm now the burden. Because, funnily enough, one thing I didn't mention in the synopsis I should have done is that Mob mentions at some point in this episode, I think probably much earlier on when we have the flashback, uh, you know, before the OP starts, oh, Emma's leg, he'll be healed in a month or two. Like, she calculated it's the fucking day that it would get back better mm-hmm. in time for it to either be shipped out or turned into a mom herself. Maybe she has done this before. Maybe. Oh. Or maybe it's happened to her. Oh. That's, grim. Mind, That's a grim thought. Yeah. She she knows. She's calculated. So it's a maybe parental tradition. Grandma is like, well, come here. Crack. Just 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 to answer Monero's point here, I do want her empathy to be tested, but when I say that, I'm not saying that I want us to be proven wrong. The goal of this show, like the thing that this show is meant to be about, and to me, is it's about genuine connections and caring for people and the strength of, you know, familial love and bonds of friendship overcoming this kind of crap that they've got to deal with. Because the villain, the primary villain, that uh, not he slash him, the person I don't give two shits about right now, the villain is Isabella, who is the antithesis of everything that ever is. Emma is, you know, cares and, and loves and admires deeply all of her friends, all of the children there. She is the true mom of that place, as I've said before. So I don't mind Emma's, uh, you know, empathy and love and affection being tested and challenged. The answer to that, of course, then should be that she should overcome those challenges. She might be brought low, but might come back up again. I That's think the, whole point, the point of this show is that Emma is right. Yeah, exactly. But we don't exactly. break the point of this show that Emma is right. Yeah, yeah. I'm fine. I think like, exactly. Emma because Emma is right. Yeah, we Emma. We don't we don't need the sort of the changing character arc where like she changes for the positive or negative like she's already got all this strength and the show is just going to be about like she's a rock and all these waves are going to break upon her shores and will she overcome them all like will one like bring her low and make her feel defeated i think you know i think she rather than her empathy for others being uh coming into question i think her own resolve to be like a good leader might be like what is tested in the future maybe this is total speculation Mm. on my part and i think i think her sort of her trust and empathy like the whole thing with like is gilda a traitor or is don a traitor like i think that was meant to be like a test of it because once they found out that gilda was not going to like be an informant to crone and Mm -hmm. Uh, Emma and Gilda like made up and hugged and came together she told the boy she was like I'm done suspecting people I'm just gonna have like faith in people you know what I mean so I think I think that was a bit of a moment (laughs) like we had that a little bit already this season I think we'll Mm -hmm. have more of it but I think that was meant to be Emma's one of her big kind of emotional challenges yeah. Um, Indeed, and, if you if you think about it, she's already won in one sense because Ray is now going towards that. That's kind right. Of line of that's right. Yep. She's she's converted Ray. Yeah. Um, exactly. So just to go back to Raydo a little bit. Like again, I'm not criticizing the show for this, but Parmi does wish that maybe there was a little bit more heavy, like just a tiny bit more heavy lifting on the other characters' side, so it wasn't entirely about Ray being the one who's changed so much. 
And I'm not saying that, again, you know, that means that Emma has to lose her empathy or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But I can understand, like, you know, maybe her becoming less naive about, you know, the way people are and that maybe that would make her more attuned to the very real dangers in it. I don't know. I'm spitballing wildly here. But it just feels noticeable to me that, like, the character that goes through the most change and the most development is Ray. Uh, when he's not really the main character, I would argue. Even though, in theory, very mind this is shown in Jump Prophecy, I could totally see a realigned version of this where he is the main. Oh, oh yeah. three of them are the main character. They oh, are. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Have aspects. Um... It's, it's like they split like a Shonen Jump protagonist into three characters, and every, every one of them mm. has kind of characteristics mm. and their own personality that one protagonist will otherwise have. And then they de- develop them way past that yeah so i i'm not necessarily of the opinion that um a character has to quote unquote develop like to be good like i think you can have a kind of consistent characterization and put that characterization like to the test and show it off and show it off without without having to have the character change um like it doesn't have to be uh, you you don't have to have that for the character to be like considered a good character in my opinion. Like I think it's very common to do that, but I don't think you have to do it. I do agree with you. I think in a way about Norman, like I think he's the one I would have liked to have seen more of, like and kind of understand his thoughts and feelings more because well, I really the, liked uh, this episode, like this the bits yeah. that we got. Yeah. Well, this is where I can see like. I had previously come on the side of, you know, I don't mind there not being internal monologues in this show because I thought in my head the way I'd see it play out is that you just have people, you know, stood in a room talking in their own head and it would be kind of dull and boring, um, at least not visually interesting to look at. Um, there is a time and place for the monologues. Mm-hmm. But now I kind of lean more towards the other where obviously not everything that, you know, I mean, we had it kind of here with Norman where... He put a brave face for Emma, went to go draw the water, you know, pour a glass, and he was shaking and all that. And he comes back and he puts the brave face on again with that deep sigh before he goes. In. That's the kind of thing I'm talking about where in the mm-hmm. monologues would have worked as well, by showing, like, the one side of the character that's the public face versus the private face, where they get to be more honest with themselves about how fucking desperate they are. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Anyway, um, that's my piece said on that. I like um, that. I, 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 I want to say that, yeah, I, I don't think... We're talking about, you know, hey, Ray is the character that's developed the most. I, I don't think I would even call it development, really. I, I, I feel like in the same way that we kind of saw how a lot of kind of Norman and Emma kind of react in different situations, we're kind of seeing that with Ray. Like, Ray has always been like this. He just hasn't acknowledged it. Mm. He hasn't been in a situation where it came up. He mm. hasn't, like, even realized so I don't think he, he has developed as a character. I think it's more that it was now his turn to kind of... It it was the turn for him to kind of show his kind of personality and show how he thinks a bit deeper. Because we've done that with the other characters quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Um, I have nothing else to add to that, like, but... Um, like... I'm very curious to see what 11 hour plan they've got now. Like, Thursday can't come soon enough because. They're going to poison they, mom. They're going to have to come up with something super fucking fast. Like, this is going to be like the. This would be a JoJo's level of improvisation here. Get out of this shithole situation they're in. 
but I'm really curious to see what it is. And uh, oh boy, I am so excited for you guys to see what happens. Like, man, there's like things we aren't even considering at play. I'm so excited. Oh Um, man, you're gonna have me awake at night thinking this. All right. Fuck my life. There's, okay, anyway, Karen. There's, there's more Twitter. Um, let's see, I did the whole infantile amnesia. Uh, the visual direction. Were you a fan of the visual direction of this episode? Like I was. Like, I think I think we all are. Um, like everyone with a big brain. Oh, wait, no, yeah, we, d- we did do this. And I'm sorry. Yeah, the plurality of the votes say it's fine. Uh, the last poll is, uh, does Ray care about Norman and Emma at this point? Genuinely care about them? And it's early days, but so far, 100% say yes. 100% yes. 100%. Never and happened before. Thing that way, until uh, the next one. The, the full hundy, yes. <laughs> <laughs> the one double O. Uh, that's all the polls. So, cool. Uh, shall we rate Shadon the episode, I guess? I, I'll start first. So I don't really have much to add beyond what I've already said. Like, um, Again, visual touch is always on point with the show. You could teach a film class with this shit, as far as I'm concerned. Exhibit A, look at this angle. What does this angle tell you about the character and their emotional state, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, we're getting more and more info doled out. Uh, tension really is ramping up now. Like, I mean, I'm not saying it wasn't there previously, but like, we are really at the peak, like the boiling point here. It's really happening. <laughs> yeah. And everything's, everything's going to fucking blow up. Um, I really like the stuff with Ray where... Without actually even, you know, outright stating it. Like, I love how this the show keeps its little character moments subtle, uh, but still perceivable to the audience, like, to get the point across that he has changed his perspective. Um, so with all that said, uh, I am going to give this episode, uh, this might seem a little low in previous ones, but I'm just going with it just because um, I think that I'm just more wasting things to happen now, I feel. But I'm going to give this, in the end, uh, 4.25 James Beckett guest cameos out of 5. <laughs> you had me afraid you were going to go uh, under four. Nah, Christ, I'm not that you know. I'm not that liquored up right now. Jesus. <laughs> uh, I will go um, based on everything we've all said. Uh, I'm going to go seven cliffs, seven fiscal cliffs out of five. <laughs> I mean, yeah, based on everything we said, I, I feel like this was an amazing episode, as always. Mm-hmm. And hopefully it's going to get followed by the biggest sneaking mission ever. So I'll give it a five solid snakes clapping bunch cheeks. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's two, so, that's, so that's two pairs and a half, then? <laughs> Man. Oh man, I don't imagine what that'd be like. Man, I it's still in my head canon. I just want this to be fun art, like of you know, grown up Emma facing Isabella in a field of white flowers. <laughs> I I like I've been waiting for you ever since the day you were born. Like I just I can't get out of my head. It's my dream, a world without children. <laughs> wow. <laughs> man. I don't know, man. Anyway, uh, thank you everyone as always for joining us for today's stream of thought. It's been lovely having you all here. Uh, we'll be back uh, next week to discuss what I presume to be, you know, the, like, I've said this before, like, this this show is, like, the shit perpetually hitting the fan. Uh, but, like, this is it. It's like, you know, two minutes to midnight episode coming up next time. 
Uh, I can't wait to talk about it and just also to digest it and what how things are going to go off the rails in so many fucking ways. I can't yeah, even imagine. Definitely the biggest cliffhanger. Like pun, whatever. Fucking. Well, it's- <laughs> That's the thing. That's the thing. Um, I think. Fuck it. Like I'm not even going that way. But this was the biggest cliffhanger yet. Sophie, Sophie, drop that pun at the start, and it's true. Oh, I missed that. I don't care. That's good, Sophie. I'm not making the joke. I'm just saying it. Stating it as a fact. Oops. Um, but we'll be back then. In the meantime, you know, our handles are on screen for you to come find us if you wish to come chat with us about various things. If you want to, you know, tell Doc that he is totally wrong about believing that, you know, there aren't people infiltrating Japan to, you know, perpetuate SJW shit. Stop it. <laughs> I can't help it. I can't <laughs> help it. It's too funny. It's too funny that people think that's a legitimate thing. As I mean, opposed look, to D- David Hater situation. himself, again, now that he's topical, Japanese icons, all its names, said trans rights. <laughs> That's right. right. He did. He said that. Colonel, Japan is being infiltrated. Yep, we're uh, we're in. We've hacked the system. (laughs) We've hacked the entirety of Japan. I told someone, and they said we didn't hack. We just took over. Japan is mine. Someone said, uh, "I am Japan now." (laughs) Okay, (laughs) you have become. That's right. You're the uh, the IG88 in the Death Star. Uh, at this point, <laughs> Swish got the reference in. Um, so I told well, I'm wearing, someone. Well, I'm wearing a Star, I'm wearing a Star Wars t shirt. Well, so. There's another one, beautiful. <laughs> I mean, yeah, all, all that's missing is like the Isabella kind of finding him is like, join me. And then Norman goes, never, and jumps off the cliff. <laughs> well, isn't that what happens to Isabella herself? Oh, shit. Because she holds out her hand, doesn't she? She didn't jump off the cliff, and then someone edited a hilarious scream because they under- misunderstood the scene. Oh god. Uh, anyway, but until next time, everyone, thank you all very much for joining. As always, I've been Shane, and this has been Doc, and that's been Borgelia. We will see you next week. And until then, as always, everyone, brace for always to the ends of the universe. Good night. Goodbye and good night. Smooch. Actually, you're in the chant. We'll never see you. You're just text. This is the sad reality of your existence. Sugai! So <laughs>